we have been talking a lot about discipleship over the course of this series called Follow Me. And uh, Mark spent that first week really talking and challenging those of you who are in the room who are a little further along in your faith, maybe a little mature in your walk with Jesus, and just asking the question and proposing the challenge, who are you discipling? Who are you pouring into? Who are you reaching back to help grow in their faith? How are you doing that? Last week, Mark had us investigate why we have discipleship, why someone should get discipled, and what exactly a disciple is. And we learned three things in the course of our study. Uh, We learned that a disciple is someone who knows what Jesus says. They know God's word, they read God's word, they spend time in it, they understand it. They're able to kind of discern what it's saying, and uh, that's part of being a disciple. The second thing we learned goes along with that, in that a disciple is someone who does uh, what Jesus says to do, right? So not only can they know God's word, but they are actually doers or they apply God's word. Uh, like in James, where it says, don't just be hearers, but be doers of the word. The third thing that we learned is that a disciple is someone who loves like Jesus loves, right? So when we look at other people, uh, other disciples, uh, we uh, relate to them through love. I think many people come to Jesus thinking, man, it's just enough to believe in him and stand on the sidelines and go root for him and be like, yay, Jesus, yay. But the fact is, Jesus isn't looking for cheerleaders. He's seeking men and women who will follow him, uh, whatever the cost. He's looking for radical devotion. He's looking for incredible commitment and dedication. He's looking for followers. He's not just looking for converts. You see, converts are just new believers. And if you've been following with Christ, uh, you know that at one point you were a new believer. You were a convert. And too often we stop there and we make Christianity about what it is we believe or what it is we know. It's Being a new believer isn't bad. Uh, scripture says, uh, compares it to being a baby, right? Uh, babies are good. New believers are good. But to stay there is not good. So if I, uh, if I was a two-year-old and I was doing things that two-year-olds do, th- that'd be okay because I was two. But at 45, it's not really acceptable anymore. Uh, I, if I walked to the grocery store and you were with me and, and I had my two boys who are 12 and 13, and if they threw the same tantrum tantrum over a pack of gum now that they did when they were two, you would probably be looking at me like, dude, you're going to say something? Because he's laying on the floor and he's taking up the whole aisle. And I can't get my cart around him. There's a maturing process that takes place. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, he says this, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put put the ways of childhood behind me. I think a lot of times in church, we work really hard to get people to make decisions for Jesus, decisions of faith. Hear me, that's a great thing. We celebrate that through the roses that come up on stage and and that celebrates a life that's gone from death to life, that's moved to a relationship with Jesus. And that's a great thing. And the next time we bring a rose out, man, I'm going to celebrate and just like everyone else, I'm going to cheer. But the question becomes, what what happens next? What's the follow-up for that person? How do we train up new Christians? 
How, how do we disciple them and help them grow? Because the truth is, our mission isn't just to win converts and make new believers. Our mission is to make disciples and to see change. There's a difference, isn't there, between being a convert and being a disciple? A converts go to church. Disciples are the church. Converts like to cheer from the sidelines. Disciples are actually in the game. Converts hear God's word. Disciples live it. So the question is, how do we help people become disciples, become followers? A few years ago, my family and I went up to visit my mom when she was still living in South Carolina. And we drove up. It's about an eight and a half, uh, nine-hour drive. We got there in the evening and uh, spent the night, woke up the next morning. Now, morning. I am not a morning person. It takes me a while to get started. Uh, my processor is not really working very well in the morning. I'm very slow to kind of think through things. I don't say much in the morning. Uh, my wife's always like, you didn't really say anything. Are you mad? I'm like, no, it's just morning. I'm not mad, right? But I'm just slow in the morning, and, and there's not much that happens for me in the morning. About 10 o'clock is when I might look awake, but about 10 o'clock is when I really start waking up and the day starts going for me and, and I can think a lot faster. Anyone else like that? All right. Are there morning people actually in the room? Okay. We love you, but wow. Much respect. So it was morning, and my favorite breakfast, if I'm going to eat breakfast, is French toast. Uh, I love French toast, especially made with cinnamon French toast, and I like to take uh, butter and slather that on there and put some powdered sugar on top of that, because of course that is the correct way to eat French toast. But I absolutely love French toast. I don't eat it very much. It's a very simple thing to make. But I was at my mom's house, so guess what she made? That's right, some French toast. And I was like, yes, because my whole family loves pancakes. I don't like pancakes. I like French toast. So I was like, yes, this is my breakfast. So I get out there, and I get to the table, and there's this stack of pancakes, or sorry, French toast. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, man, what's my family going to eat? This is awesome. You know? So I was very nice, and I just took two pieces my mom put the powdered sugar out on the table, and I put the butter on, and I filled it up with some powdered sugar, and I was like, yes. And I took my first bite, and I'm chewing, and yeah, I was like, this just does not taste right. My processor is going very slow, but I'm understanding it's not tasting like French toast should taste. I was like, hmm. Took a second bite, and I'm like, actually, this is actually disgusting. This is so gross. And so you're caught in that middle, you know, zone where you're like, should I tell my mom that this is absolutely disgusting? Is she getting, you know, that point in age where she's starting to forget what goes into French toast? There's only a couple things there. I mean, it's not really that hard of a recipe. And I'm doing this while I'm still eating. And I'm still kind of choking. I get down to the first piece done. And I'm seriously choking down that last bite. And I'm looking at that stack, and I'm like, there's no way I'm touching the rest of that. I don't even know how I'm going to finish the last piece that's on my plate. And I'm kind of doing this, should I tell her, should I not? When my youngest son, Ryland, sits down at the table, puts the butter on, puts the powdered sugar on, takes a bite, right? And he starts spitting it out of his mouth uh, onto the plate. And part of me is like, yes, someone said it, right? And part of me is like, you really shouldn't be doing that at grandma's house. That's really bad manners. We'll talk about that later. Right? You don't just spit it out like that. So my mom is over making some more French toast. She walks up. She's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? 
uh, this is disgusting, Grandma. What is this? It's like, oh, this is French toast. And I don't understand. You know, I made it the normal way. And, and she's looking at the bread, looking at the expiration date. Is it bad? Is the bread bad? I don't. And my wife looks at the powdered sugar and goes, that's not powdered sugar. That's flour. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, if instead of powdered sugar, you put flour and butter on your French toast, it's not quite as good. Just, you know, doesn't taste the same. Now, French toast is a pretty simple recipe, and especially how I eat it, but if you don't have the right ingredients, the recipe fails. What you're trying to make fails. Today, I want to ask the question, what's the formula or the recipe for discipleship? In other words, what needs to be in place to be able to disciple someone, to help someone else grow in their faith, to become closer to Jesus. We're going to spend some time this morning looking at a relationship, a discipleship relationship in Scripture. And we're going to go through a bunch of different verses that kind of highlight and show how this relationship developed over time and what was involved in this relationship. And it's going to give us some clues. As we study, uh, I want those of you who are thinking about discipling, You kind of responded that first week that Mark was talking. I want those of you to kind of think through this and look at it and go, man, how do I have these ingredients in my context, in this relationship that I'm starting where I'm going to disciple someone? How do I bring these ingredients into play? And as I talk, I want you to think, how do you set up your discipleship relationship like that? I also want to talk to specifically to three groups of people that I know are in the room. Uh, The first group is this. Maybe you've been coming to church for a little bit. You're just kind of checking out this whole Jesus thing, the church deal. You're not really sure. Maybe someone invited you. You have some questions. You've been coming, but you're, you're just not really sure yet about Jesus. You're just checking them out. The, the first thing I want to say to you is this. Man, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, we are excited that you're coming and that you're joining us and that you're kind of seeking it out and, and, and figuring out, man, is this Jesus thing for me or not? Uh, I'm going to say yes, uh, but we would love for you to continue that process. And so I'm going to give you, in the course of this, our time together, some steps that you can take that kind of can help you on that journey. The second group of people I want to address this morning are those that maybe are sitting in the room, and you came to know Jesus within maybe the last year, year and a half, two years. In fact, maybe there was a rose on stage that represented your life. And at that moment, when you moved from death to life, you were like, yes, that's awesome. And you were kind of growing and kind of excited, and now you're like, and now what? Well, what happens next? What do I do now? Well, in the course of our time together, I'm going to give you some action steps Uh, for that, and some things that you can do to move forward in your relationship with Jesus. The third group of people that I'd like to address are are those that have been coming for a while, and maybe you've known Jesus, but just something has happened in that relationship. It's grown cold. It's grown stagnant. It's grown stale. And you're not really grown. You just know it. Like, you're checking off the boxes. I'm come to church. Check. Okay, wait. Now I'm just going to listen online. Check. All right, now I'm going to think about someday going back. Check. Right? And somehow you're here this morning, and you're kind of thinking about it. You're like, all right, what's it going to take to spark this relationship? I want to talk directly to you this morning as well and give you some ideas in that. Here's what I'd like to propose. That during our time, those three groups, as I talk, what I want you to think about is I want you to think about connecting with someone else who is a little further along in their relationship with Jesus. People that you could ask questions to 
and have conversation with, and they could encourage you, and they could show you where things are in the Bible and, and grow. And as, you, as we walk through these ingredients, these are the things I want you to look for in other people. These are the things I want you to look for that need to be a part of that discipleship relationship. Uh, but to do that, I just need to stop and let's just spend some time praying and asking God to uh, walk, watch over our time together. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the chance that we have right now just to look at some different references in your word that point out and clarify what a discipleship relationship could look like. God, I know that in this room there are people that are uh, in awe for the groups that I've mentioned. And so, Lord, I pray that, um, that you would have the freedom to just uh, impress upon our hearts what you want us to learn. That as we talk through these principles, these ingredients, Lord, uh, that you would help us to see clearly what our next step would be. Move me out of the way and say the things you want said this morning, God. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. You could go in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be up on the screen for you. Uh, But it says this. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. The the first ingredient is actually found in this verse. Uh, The first ingredient is time. You need time. This is the first specific mention of Timothy Uh, in the book of Acts, here in chapter 16, where he joins Paul on what's known as the second missionary journey. Now, some writers like to speculate that perhaps Timothy may have heard Paul during his first missionary journey and perhaps came to know Jesus at that time. The truth is, we actually have no idea, but the geography would work out if that were the case. But, you know, it makes for a great story. Time. Time is the first ingredient. And if you're thinking of spending some time with someone for the purpose of discipleship, let me give you some insight to that. The first thing you want to look for is someone you enjoy hanging out with. Someone you enjoy. Uh, So to spend time with them, look for someone you enjoy. You see this in the writings. Uh, You see the way in which Paul's and Timothy's relationships develop and deepen, how it grew over the years. In fact, Paul calls Timothy, my true son in the faith, or also, my dear son. You see that in 1 and 2 Timothy. There are many indications and many mutual experiences that the two had together, and you can see that there is a real and intimate relationship between the two of them. And so we can naturally assume that they enjoyed one another. Paul invited him to come with him on the journey. You usually don't invite someone to come with you on a journey who you don't like hanging out with. And so we see this grow. 
One of the things I would ask that you would look for if you were looking for someone to help you grow and to disciple you is that you enjoy hanging out with them. Do they have some of the same common interests that you do? Do they like to golf? Do they like to hunt? Do they like to fish? Do they like to shop? I've heard some people like that. Do they like the same kind of things you do and and are involved in some of the same things you do? Because then it would be natural to be able to hang out a little bit and to be together, right? And so that's one of the first things you look for. Uh, Do they, do you enjoy the person? But you got to spend time with them. The second thing I would encourage you in terms of spending time with them is simply this. Do ministry with the person. Do ministry with the person. You'll see Paul and Timothy doing ministry together. In fact, that passage we just read, the whole deal was they were going around to the churches to let them know of decisions that were that had been made in Jerusalem by the apostles and by the leaders in the church of Jerusalem so that they could encourage the churches. And so it wasn't like Paul was like, okay, Timothy, here's the deal. You carry the bags, great. You stand there, and I'm going to go do the work, and then we'll come back and we'll you know, do our Bible study. Instead, it was, hey, Timothy, come with me and be a part of this with me. Do ministry with me. In fact, you see this if you keep going in Acts, in Acts chapter 18 and Acts chapter 19. If you were to read the epistles, the letters that Paul wrote, you'd see that he would usually include, and Timothy, our dear brother, greets you as well. You see this in 2 Corinthians. You see this in Philippians. You see this in Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. You see that Timothy is a co-worker with Paul. He's not just a tag-along on the journey. In fact, Romans 16, 21 says this, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. He was a co-worker with him. He was doing ministry with him. And so not only did they enjoy being together, they had time together, but they did ministry together. If you're looking for someone to maybe help you grow, to help you uh, move forward in your faith, one of the areas I would encourage you to look is in the areas that you serve. If you're helping out on the parking team, look at the guys that have been there for a while, that have been following Jesus and running after him. Uh, If you're in the welcome and greeting team, look at the people that have been standing at the doors across from you that you know, man, they've been running after Jesus. If you're working in children's ministry and you're serving and you're like, man, that person that's doing the small group next to me, they seem to just be moving towards Jesus all the time. Those might be great people to help you, to disciple you, to help you move forward, and you're already doing ministry with them. I'll tell you, one of the guys that really uh, came along in my life and discipled me was when I first got involved in working with junior high students. I had gotten roped in as a college student. I sat with the junior high pastor for breakfast. I was surprised he got me up that early, but I sat with him for breakfast, and, and he's like, hey, you'd be great at this. Come, come do this. And I was like, all right, sure. And I remember sitting there in a, in a group with 12 kids going, how do I get him to shut up? I, I can't even get through this lesson. That, how do I do this? Right? And the other guy across from me looks at me and like, you look a little lost. I'm like, I totally am. I have no idea what I'm doing. He's like, hey, can I help you? Yeah. Right? And he started to mentor me and, and help me to grow and to disciple me. When you spend time with someone that you enjoy, you do ministry together, what happens is you build trust with each other. And Paul had a ton of trust in this young man, Timothy. He had his uh, confidence And so there were times in the ministry where Paul would send Timothy to go and do little individual assignments where he'd he'd say, all right, you're going to go here and then come back, right? And so there's a small kind of sends out. 
send outs. We see this in Acts from 16. If we go to 17, verse 13, we see this. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating, stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. I mean, you can picture the scene, right? Uh, Paul's preaching and teaching, and these guys come and cause problems. And the, the brothers are like, hey, listen, it'd probably be better for you if you left. And Paul's probably like, well, I'm not quite done. I tell you what, I'll leave Silas and Timothy. They'll hang out with you for a little bit. So he leaves, and they continue to do the work. If you keep reading in Acts, you find out that Timothy and uh, Silas, they rejoin, uh, they rejoin Paul in the journey. But it's a little uh, momentary assignment that he gives them to send off. You see this also in 1 Corinthians, where Paul sends Timothy to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 4.17 says this, This is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. You see this also in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, verses 1-6. through 6. This one's not going to be on your screen. But in verse 2 it says this, And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to, exta- to establish and exhort you in the faith. Verse 6, But now Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and your love. Send Timothy out. This is your assignment. Come on back and report. Look at the progression that's taking place. Hey, Timothy, join me on this journey, right? Let's do the ministry together. Okay, I'm going to send you out, and I'm going to send you out on this assignment, and then you come back. And we'll talk about it, right? The next one is this. He sends them out on a more permanent assignment. Uh, You see this in 1 Timothy, uh, where it says, verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. So he's no longer with him, but he's writing to him. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And so the progression, little individual assignments, and then he sends them to one fully, right? And his time with Timothy doesn't end. In fact, he still thinks about Timothy. He still writes Timothy. Those letters, First and Second Timothy, in your Bible, are Paul writing to Timothy to encourage him as a young pastor at a church in Ephesus to build into him and to continue to encourage him. But this is the whole process of discipleship. It's not that the person would stay with you and travel with you and be your travel buddy for like the rest of your life. It's so that you can give him and impart on that person what it is to follow Jesus. They can have some momentaries of success and then they can go out and do that for others. That's the whole process that's supposed to take place. But he continues in this time that he's spending with them to encourage him. In fact, look at some of the verses in, the, in this uh, letter, 1 Timothy. Verse 18, it says this, this, I char- this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. One of the more famous verses in, in 1 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 12, says this, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Basically what he's saying is, he's like, hey, Timothy, I know you're there. I know it's hard. I know you're struggling. But man, keep it up. Keep going. You can do this. I believe in you. We believe. Look what's prophesied over. You can 
You can accomplish this. God can do anything through you. Keep up the good fight. And so Paul continues to encourage. The first ingredient that we're looking for in discipleship is time. You need to have time with the person that you're going to disciple or the person that's going to disciple you. The second ingredient that you need is life. Is life. And by that, I don't mean you just need a heartbeat or a pulse, uh, but you need a life that points to Jesus. A life uh, that is worth following. It, it gets confusing when you say, do this, but then you're doing something totally diff- different over here. You need a life that runs after Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. In fact, do this for me. Uh, turn to your left to look at the people on the left-hand side of you. Turn to your right, look at the people on the right-hand side of you. Go ahead, turn around, look at the people behind you who maybe came in later uh, than you. Uh, say hi. What do you notice about everyone? There's, there's people in here, that's great. But there is no one in this room that is perfect. There just isn't. There's no one here that's perfect. And so we're not talking perfection, but we're talking consistency. We're talking following after Jesus. We're saying, hey, listen, if you're going to disciple someone or you're going to choose someone to disciple you, let's not, let's not be camped out in sin. Let's not be like, okay, I, I want you to do what Jesus wants you, but on this area of my life, I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not budging. I'm going to hang out here in this sin. And that's what he's talking about. Uh, Tegan, my daughter, is 17 and driving, and I had the opportunity with her mom to train her on driving and the driver's ed teacher and all that stuff, and, and uh, we had a great fun doing that. Uh, but when she had her license, uh, we needed to take two cars to a certain place, and I didn't have the address to the place to really give it to her on her, on her phone, right, so we could GPS and follow. So I just said, hey, just follow me. Just drive with me. She's just like, all right. So she got in the car behind me, and we headed down, you know, on the toll road. We took the connector over to 4, got on 4, then got on 275. And we arrived there, and she got out of the car, and she's, like, coming over to me. I was like, Tegan, man, you did a great job. Just a great job driving on the highway. And she's like, you know, big smile. I'm like, okay, but there's just, like, one thing I'd probably say to you. Okay, a little bit, you you may follow people just a little too close. And when you're trying to get over on the exit, you know, if you know that's the exit, just it's okay to just tuck in and just kind of relax and take it easy. And because you're going to get off and what's the two, three seconds worth? You don't have to go flying by everybody and try and squeeze in tight spaces at the very end to get off. And she just does this to me. Why? Because she's been driving with me for 16 years right? She knows how I drive. And I'm the guy who's like, I'm, this guy's going 50, I'm going around him, and I'm going to get to that stoplight at the end of the exit first. Because I'm saving myself two seconds. You know, you can take, you know, the kid out of Chicago, but sometimes it's hard to take the Chicago out of the kid. But she didn't say a word. She just went, why? Because there was confusion there. And I'm sitting there going, do as I say, not as I do. Ignore the stuff in this hand that leads to confusion. If we're going to disciple someone, if we're going to train someone up, we need to be the example. We need to lay before them a model of how to live. These are the parts of discipling that are indispensable and helping to turn the next generations into fully devoted followers of Jesus. It goes without saying that if those who are discipling expect others to follow what they say, that they should also be doing it as well. 
This is a place where hypocrisy isn't going to work because this person is going to be spending time with you. In fact, look at the Apostle Paul's example as he discipled, as he mentored, as he led. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And that is a bold statement. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what he's saying is this. Hey, oh, you're having a hard time understanding exactly? Okay, great. Here's, here's, I'll make it really easy for me. Just follow what I do as I follow Jesus. Just do that. That's the first step. That's a bold statement. Are, are you ready? Are you willing to be able to say to someone, okay, the way in which I'm following Jesus, follow him. Watch me. Watch me. Come to my work. Watch me. Watch how I interact with my coworkers. Come on. Paul also says this in 2 Thessalonians 3.7. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. He's saying, hey, follow my example. Now, this wasn't only true of how Jesus discipled or how the apostles discipled, but the elders and the leaders of the churches are called to this as well. 1 Peter 5.3, Peter says this, Be examples to the flock. Uh, in Acts 20.17, uh, Paul is talking to the elders there. He's just about to leave, and he says, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. In other words, do what I was doing when I was hanging out with you. Live in that way. I mean, we say it all the time, right? Uh, constantly be sharing Christ and sometimes use words. Your life should point to Jesus. It should be easy for people to go, all right, that guy, that lady, she loves Jesus. Dallas Willard in his book, Divine Con- Conspiracy, says this, a disciple is simply a student or an apprentice. Someone who has decided to be with someone so they can learn to do what that person does and become what that person is. So they can learn to do what that person does and become what that person is. That's a tall order. Uh, Honestly, this is how I learned to become a pastor. When I was an intern and I was hanging out uh, with the pastor, he's like, hey man, come, come hang out with me a little bit in the office. And next thing I know, I'm going to hospital visitations with him. I'm going to funeral preparations with him. I'm going to funerals with him. I'm going to premarital counseling that he's doing. I'm going to weddings that he's doing. I'm watching him put together a sermon. I'm watching what he does throughout the week. And then he started handing me off, here, this one's yours. And that's slowly how I learned how how to pastor. Parents, we get the privilege of doing this with our children. Let me tell you, you're discipling them, whether you know it or not, but what are you discipling them towards? Does your life point to Jesus? So you need time. You need a life that points to Jesus. And the third ingredient in the recipe is this. You need the Bible or Scripture. You see, it's not just enough to hang out with the other person. Yeah, I got a cool discipleship relationship. We meet every Thursday and we go golfing. Well, do you talk about Jesus? Do you look into the Bible at all? Do you, does he take you back to Scripture? No. Yeah, that's called a foursome. 
But you need to be able to not only show them the principles, tell them the principles, model it for them, but you need to show them in Scripture where you found it. Help them to get to know the Bible. Help them to get to know this Jesus that they're following. I had a roommate in college that absolutely loved to quote the Bible, was constantly quoting the Bible. The only problem was it wasn't Scripture. He would be like, you know, just like as in the Bible says, God helps those who help themselves. And I'm just like, not in there. No, 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 seriously, I, I swear, oh, all right, can you find it for me? I heard a guy say it once, yeah, not the same thing. You know, as the Bible says, cleanliness is next to godliness, while being clean is great, not in there. Really? Pretty sure. But he would just quote, you know, random Bible verses and stuff. Show them, show them where it is, show them where they find it in Scripture, because the truth is, If you're discipling someone, there will be a point where you're not there, and now they get to live it. They need to know the principles. They need to know where it is in Scripture, and they need to be able to train someone else on those principles. I mean, again, look at Paul's example. Philippians 4, chapter 9, says this, What you have learned and received and heard. Learned, received, and heard. In other words, what I've taught you, what you've picked up from my teaching. And he says this, and seen in me, the example that I've lived before you, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He writes this to Timothy as well in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says this, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard, what you have heard, what I have taught you, right, from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will teach others. In other words, Hey, teach those people what I taught you. Make sure you're teaching them. Make sure you're showing them. Uh, Incidentally, we also kind of get the principle for discipleship from this verse. We see four generations of believers, of that faith passing down. You have Paul, who taught it to Timothy, who taught it to reliable men, who taught it to others. And guess what? Long down the line, you and I came around. And someone else continued this process and taught us. And invested in us. And so that's the recipe. That's the formula. Time plus life plus Bible or scripture equals discipleship. Now what happens if I leave out one of these things? Or if I replace it, you know, with flour instead of powdered sugar? What happens? Well, if I have time and I like to hang out with a person, we get along, we're doing things together, that's great. And I have uh, a life that pursues after Jesus and they have that model, but I never connect them to Scripture. I never show them where it's found. What I end up with is I end up with a disciple of me. Instead of the person saying, hey, Jesus says, or in the Bible it says, and this is why I do this, they go, well, Tom said, what authority do I have? Connect them to Scripture. And so if I'm missing Scripture, what I end up making is a disciple of me. If I have time, but I don't have a life that points to Jesus, because I'm camped out in sin right now, but man, I can put together a Bible study like no one's business. I mean, I can, I can put together a great study that makes people go, whoa, that's awesome. But I don't have a life that pursues after Jesus, 
Well, what I end up with is I end up with confusion. I end up with confusion where they're looking there and going, okay, he's saying this, but he's living this way. Um, I don't get it. Does this actually make a difference? Is it supposed to? And you end up with confusion. If I have a life that pursues after Jesus, and I know Scripture, and I can help people understand Scripture, but I don't have time for that person, well, what I have is no impact. I have no impact because I'm not around the person to impart so they can't see how I look. Can you imagine if Paul said to Timothy, man, I, I like you. You're going somewhere, somewhere. You stay here. I'll, I'm going to go do my thing. And never brought him and care, took him with him and had the time for him. Timothy wouldn't have the impact that he had. And so that's the formula. That's the recipe. Time plus life plus scripture equals discipleship. And so there's some action steps for you. If you are sitting in here and you're in one of those uh, groups of people that I talked about in the beginning, maybe you're just trying to investigate and you're like, man, I'm just not sure about this Jesus thing. I've gone online and I've asked some questions, but everyone seems to be really harsh when they respond back to me. And and I I don't feel like that's the best place to ask my questions. Is there a place that I could ask? Uh, the, The answer is yes. In fact, we would love to connect you with someone that would just be able to just have conversation with you and, and talk to you and help walk you through some of the questions you might have. Really not in a ju- non-judgmental way, but to where they could help you kind of filter through the questions and help you process that. Maybe you're a, a new believer and you're like, yes, but now what? What's next? Man, we'd love to connect you with someone that could help you move forward in your walk with Jesus, to help you understand what does it mean to follow him wholly with my entire life. Maybe things have grown stale for you. And you've kind of hit this thing where it's boring, it's road, it's not making sense, it's just kind of cold. And we would love to help jumpstart that by putting you in a relationship where someone can help you understand Scripture and understand how we should be living. So how do I do that? Well, there's a couple ways. Uh, one would be this. If you are here in the church and you're, you're involved in the church and you look around and you're like, man, I like this person, I like hanging out with them. They, they live, I mean, man, their life just screams they love Jesus in it. And, man, every time I hear them talk, they're talking through Scripture. I would encourage you, just go up to them and say, hey, listen, I was listening this morning, Tom was speaking. Can you help me in my walk? Can you help me to grow? Can you help me kind of take that next step? I think he called it disciples or something. Can you help me with that? And, and, and see if they will. And if they connect with you, that man, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Some of you, when you look to the left and to the right and all those things and to the back, you're like, I don't know anybody. I really don't know anyone who fits those things. I mean, I don't know. I have friends, but I don't know anyone who's living for Jesus, let alone knowing God's word. And I truly thought, you know, cleanliness thing was in there. So I, I don't know anyone. Well, we can help you in some other ways. In fact, today we have uh, a way in which you can make relationships here at the church uh, through our life groups. It's the way in which we take this big kind of church and make it smaller, and, and we have what's called a group link that's out in the lobby. That might be your first step, connecting into a group as you, as you head out to get to know people. And as you sit in that group, go, man, that, that person, that person would be great. 
But I also have another thing you can do. You can go to our website, to uh, www.baylife.org slash disciple. And a page that looks very similar to this page will show up. It will say, follow me. And it will be there. There's a spot that you can, if you want to disciple someone, uh, you can click on that. Uh, But if you are interested in being discipled, uh, you can click on this button here. um, I think they're going to highlight for me. I'm going to highlight. Oh, they hit it. I hit it. Okay, uh, that says this. I want to be discipled. And what's going to pop up uh, on there is really this uh, kind of questionnaire uh, thing where you can fill out. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us um, about your spiritual journey so far. It's going to have some questions about things you like to do. This is kind of the non-scientific, e-harmony-ish way that we're going to kind of put people together in discipleship relationships. Okay? Um, And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at some of those, and we're going to say, oh, man, this person loves to hunt. I know a guy that loves to hunt that wants to disciple someone. Man, I'm going to make an introduction. I'm going to connect those guys, and then go hunt together. It'd be great. All those kind of things. And start to talk about Jesus together. And this guy could ask his questions. But you click that, and we will do our best to put you into a discipleship relationship. In fact, this is the first one that we're going to have, but on February 13th, we're going to meet with the people that, we've, that have said, man, I want to be discipled, and the people that have said, man, I want to disciple, and we're going to bring them together and introduce them to each other, and that's going to be on February 13th. If you sign up for either of those things, Cindy Perkins will be sending an email giving you some more information about that day, but it's just going to be a, a way in which we kind of kick off that discipleship process. Now, I'll tell you, uh, we as a church... Have, in, um, have a deep desire to see this happen. And we've actually put together some resources that can help out. Uh, one of them is we've developed a, a, an app that uh, you can download on your phone or on your tablet. Or if you don't have a phone or a tablet, you can go to on your computer uh, to uh, baylifeblueprint.org and uh, you can get access to this app there. Now, if you go to the Apple Store or the Google Plus Store and you type in Discipleship Blueprint, this will be the first thing that pops up. If you can't remember that and you can remember Bay Life Church, type that in. This will be the second app that pops up. But this is actually our discipleship app. And it has some really cool features in it. But when you uh, sign on to it and download it, uh, what's going to happen is uh, you'll have this screen and you can sign up for an account. And then it will give you access to some of the different plans and lessons that you can study together. Now, everyone look at me for a second. If you're not in a discipleship relationship, this app will make no sense to you, and you'll be looking at it going, this is really stupid. I don't understand. I, there's no, I can't do anything with this thing. It was designed that way. It's designed for the discipleship relationship. It is, it is not, the app is not the discipler, okay? Let me repeat that. The app is not the discipler. The app is a tool for the discipler and disciple to use to kind of be on the same page together and to study together, all right? And so if you have an interest in, in uh, discipleship and in, in helping or in learning to grow, um, you can download that app. We'll, make, we'll help you make the connection, and, uh, and then you can walk through some of the lessons together, and it'll just kind of give you guidance on your time and how you spend time in Scripture together. But it's a great tool that we're very, very excited about, uh, excited to have out here and excited to get in people's hands. But more importantly, we're excited for the process and the, the op- 
opportunity for people to connect in these discipleship relationships so that they can grow. Uh, our desire is that we are a church, uh, remember, that makes disciples, that make disciples, that makes disciples, that makes disciples, right? And so part of, that, part of this is in that process. And so the first step for you, if you want to be discipled, is to go to that website and just click, I want to be discipled. And we will get back in contact with you and partner you up with someone who has a lot of things in, sim- in, in common with you to be able to walk with you. Can I pray for us as we close? Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to look into your word, to study and to see the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Lord, I want to pray specifically for those in the crowd right now that are those Pauls that need to be discipling someone, need to be pouring back in what they know. God, I pray that they would jump forward in that and and look for someone to disciple. And Lord, uh, I know that the room has a number of Timothy-type people in it as well who just need a Paul to come alongside of them and to invest in them. God, I know that sometimes fear or other excuses stop us from kind of jumping into those relationships. Lord, I pray that right now, just in this moment, that you would remove that from our hearts. And allow us to follow you and get involved with someone who can help us grow. Thanks, God, for loving us, for giving us this time together. It's in your precious and your holy name we pray these things. Amen. Before I let you go, I want to remind you, these cards that you were so diligent in filling out while you were sitting here, which I really appreciate, thank you, um, make sure and hand them to the ushers on the way out. And then again, out in the lobby, we have group link, which if you're not in a life group and uh, you want to be, this is where you can connect in that life group, and we'd love for you to do so. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here this morning, and we'll see you next week.